The Chicago Outdoor Sports Show at the Rosemont Convention Center is back and better than ever. January 19th through the 22nd. It's the Great Outdoors Indoors. If you're looking to book a trip, buy a boat, load up on gear, or talk fishing and hunting, this is the place. See Top Evan Root Pro Anglers on Lake Chicago, Illinois' largest indoor lake for fishing demos. There's something for everyone, including the Tactical Gun Pavilion, Fly Casting Pond, Trout Pond, Animal Shows, Kids Zone, and Featured Entertainment, The Great Alaskan Lumberjacks. Buy your $10 ticket online now at chicagosportshow.com. January 19th through the 22nd in Rosemont. PH Custom Lure by Phil Hunter quickly becoming the most sought-after custom balsa baits in the industry. From the Little Hunter to the Squeaky Pea, these baits are pure quality, handcrafted, hand-carved, and hand-painted. But most importantly, they flat-out catch fish. PH Custom Lures has a bait for any situation in a magnitude of colors. Check out the Old School, Straighter, and PH Custom Series at phcustomlures.com. That's phcustomlures.com. I'm John DeMay with Dem Jigs. Today, I'd like to share with you a little bit about a couple products that we have in our lineup that we're really excited about. The first product I'd like to talk to you about today is the Joe Football Head Jig. Right out of the package, you'll notice that our football head jig is different than most on the market. What makes our jigs different is the quality of components. Let's start with the hook. These hooks are custom made for us in Japan. 90 degree bend, black nickel hooks, razor sharp, JDM quality. All of our Joe football head jigs have living rubber skirts. They're hand tied with copper wire to ensure that they stay affixed and it also helps them to flare while they're in the water. We powder paint and heat cure each jig to ensure that the paint stays on your jig even when you're fishing rock. Another feature that separates our jig from other jigs on the market is the screw lock keeper. The screw lock keeper does a couple things for you. Not only does it keep your bait affixed, it'll save you money on soft plastics that pull off of standard barb keepers. The second product I'd like to talk to you about is our hybrid flip and swim jig. We also have a custom hook in our flip and swim jig. It's a four-aught, 30-degree bend, black nickel hook. It has the same durable paint, the same great keeper, and a hand-tied silicon skirt to complete it. So if you're looking for a premium product that's going to give you an edge over your competition, look us up at demjigs.com. Welcome back to Straycast Outdoor Cartoon Television. I'm Pat Renwick. This is Ryan Popcorn Whitaker. Hi. That's JP High, and that's yeah. Bobby Bergren. And we are ecstatic right now to, to have on the Skype machine from Spokane, Washington, bass fishing superstar Luke Lawson. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Woo! What's going on, Luke? How are you guys doing? I appreciate having me. What's happening? Oh, man, I've been working on tackle all day. It's got a nice little break. Yeah, well, we're, we're glad you're taking your break with us. Yeah, what was on the agenda today? Like, what are you working on? Today I went through pretty much all my jigs. I went through, like, several hundred jigs today. And uh, through that, jigs, hooks, weights, a lot of little stuff. Pretty uh, meaningless work, it seems like, but all necessary for next year. But like, like that. So today was jig day. 
well, yeah, kind of. I go through stuff. My shop's just a terrible mess. So there's little piles here and there. <laughs> it's small messes that are kind of uh, accumulated together. And, uh, I kind of pick a pile and go through it. But I go through all my stuff that I keep in my boat for the year. So boxes of uh, swim jig box, a box of uh, my finesse jigs, a punching jig box. But I take a lot of the old ones out, put new in, new boxes, just kind of reorganizing for next year. At the end of a season, it's everything's just kind of in shambles. So eh, there's a lot of mess or stuff I didn't even know I had in there. That, like about jig fishing, do you say you start to catch a ton of fish on a certain jig? Like are you superstitious about it? Can you throw that that jig out and, like, say it gets all beat up and the and the and the and the, the point gets bent and, and instead of re, instead of sharpening it, do you do you put a new one on or are you superstitious? No, I just throw them out. The whole scheme of things, the jig's pretty cheap, so it starts to get beat up and not the way it was when they were biting it, or it's not going to be as efficient. I throw it over my shoulder in the bottom of the boat and grab a new one. And just get a new one. Do you, yeah. What do you think the oldest lure in your tackle box is? Oh, man, the oldest lure. That's a good question. I know I had some mega bass jerk baits that I actually won one of my first boats on there from 97 that I still carry with me. I have an old uh, super spook that uh, hardly has any paint left on it. I don't know how many five-pounders it's got that goes everywhere with me. It doesn't come out till game day. It, it's magic, isn't it? It's magic in my mind. I don't know if it is to the fish, but I sure feel good throwing it. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> hey, yeah. do you think – have you ever thought about this, Luke? Tell me. Do you think that it's crazy that we as bass fishermen learn from a little pea-brained fish? I mean, don't you think it should be the other way around? Shouldn't we be educating them? But instead, they're educating us. Isn't that, uh, speaking of magical and mystical, that's kind of nuts, ain't it? Well, I think we are educating them. You look at this Alabama rig that came out. This thing was labeled as unstoppable. It should have been on one of those TV commercials, like too good to be used in tournaments. And now it's not nearly as effective as it was. And why don't those little ones bite it anymore? A 12-incher that never saw it before, it's not going out tackling it. Fish are kind of a crazy creature that they seem to pass on the lessons we teach them. And we outsmart ourselves when we're fishing for them. Yeah. uh, The big ones are teaching their kids now, too, because you can't even catch the little ones on it, right? Yeah, they might be smarter than we think. It's nuts. I mean, it's they're little pea brains, but still, we learn from them, and apparently, they do learn from us. Boat noise, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they get conditioned. I think some things they never seem to get smart to, and there's some things that, like this Alabama rig, is a perfect example. That thing didn't last but a few years, and it's just fizzled right in the toilet in no time. Do you believe in the theory of non-threatening baits? Like, for example, that it's harder for a bass to get conditioned to uh, to a jig or to a, um, a Texas rigged bait or something, as, as opposed to an Alabama rig or a rattling crankbait? Do you believe those unobtrusive baits are are less susceptible to being con- to conditioning bass? Oh, there's definitely something to that. Those baits have stood the test of time. There's two categories that they really seem to not be able to avoid and one is those baits that get on the bottom they can't identify as well and you call them non-threatening we see jigs worms stuff like that that's fairly slow but then we also see stuff that elicits a reaction out of them like a a square bill crankbait it still catches a snot out of them and it's beating off of stuff and it goes by those fish they have to either shit or get off the pot and bite it right now when it's going by them so they don't have the time to now that a fish can think but they don't have less time to consume what's going on around them and they have to react or not react at that time so I don't know that they get as conditioned to that. But like you mentioned before, trolling motor boat noise, 
Let's see a lot of that just in the last 10 years that I've been fishing that fish are definitely more educated at that. We we saw when Tommy Biffle and some of these D. Thomas, these flippers were literally flipping like six feet from the boat, catching fish everywhere they went. And it's not nearly as easy to do anymore. Yeah, that's an awesome beard you're working with, by the way. I, I, I was mesmerized for a moment. That, that's pretty You're You're almost like you our buddy Popcorn here. He's got some it work was a lot bigger, but I had to shave it here for the holidays. My wife got after me, so we trimmed her up a little bit and had to do a photo shoot down in Florida. It was looking a little burly. I actually put a post on the internet. People started saying I looked like Al Linder, and that was probably a pretty good sign to start cutting her down. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I get that all the time because mine's red like his. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think would win in, a, uh, in a, a street brawl back in the day like Al Linder or Bill Dance? Who, who would win in a street fight? Ah, uh, I don't know. I think Bill Dance would have the edge on him. Yeah, he's pretty agile. You've seen all those blooper videos. Yeah, a hundred percent, Bill Dance. <laughs> he uh, can take a beating for sure. I think he would kick some Linder ass. There's, there's no doubt about it. Hey, uh, you know what I think when I think Luke Clawson? You know what I think of? I don't know if I want to know. A- ask me. <laughs> ask, say, Pat, what do you think of? What, what do you think of when you hear Luke Clawson? I think of Mega Bass. Megabass. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people might be like, okay, uh, 2006 Bassmaster Classic Champion, or uh, he won the uh, Forest Wood uh, Cup as a rookie. You know, but I think, like, I, I think that you have become synonymous with, with Megabass. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool, though, dude. Well, it's, it's good. It means I'm doing my job as a promoter, you know, promoting these brands. And it's a brand I've been with, like I said, since. The late 90s, I actually won one of my first boats on a Megabass jerkbait. So it's a brand I've been really close to my whole career. Uh, but that's good to hear that uh, you acknowledge it. Yeah, I'm trying to get you a raise. You see how I'm doing this that's right good. now? I'll give you some phone numbers, email addresses if you'd like. Yes, we, we, we will write you uh, shining letters of recommendation. There is there is no doubt. There is no doubt. Now, now you talk about the, you know that, that Vision 110, right? That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Now mm-hmm. – now, Talk to me about the straight eye Vision One Ten compared to the to the slant eye uh, Vision One Ten. I think it's about like my Spook that I like. People have a lot of confidence in the older ones they used. I've used them both. I can't tell a difference. Um, I think you can vary your jerk bait a lot more by changing hook or line sizes, uh, retrieves, but then you can with the difference between those two baits. Uh, I don't know that there is enough of a difference to even make a difference in how many fish you catch, other than the amount of confidence people have. Uh, we think when that round eye came out, or the, the slanted eye, whatever you want to call it, the one that pointed down, that uh, that was really when the 110 exploded. That was the bait. Obviously, still catches fish everywhere. We've seen guys like Chris Zalday and catch them in places that we never thought were possible even. But uh, that's really when it exploded. People caught so many fish on that bait, and they think that's the bait you have to have. But I don't think there's really that big of a difference at all. Well, what matters more in jerkbait fishing in this regards? Is it color of jerkbait or confidence in the color of the jerkbait you're throwing? Oh, I think color definitely plays a role. Uh, you know, it depends what kind of uh, difference you're looking at. If you're looking at like a, a LG bone with a chartreuse belly versus a pro blue that's very transparent, that's a pretty big difference. But if you're looking at like a Tennessee shad versus an HT Tennessee shad, no, I don't think that makes big of as big of a difference. General rule of thumb with jerk baits: I always say something transparent and clear water when it's sunny. You get uh, a little bit of color to it. I like to use something with some chrome on the side so it flashes more. You get more color, I'll use something more bone or more opaque to even get more flash off that bait. 
Hey, Luke, the, for, as far as that jerkbait goes, that, that 110, those hooks are just, I mean, they're so sharp and they're light. What, what's, the, uh, what's the ideal rod uh, action and length for throwing that jerkbait so you don't pull those hooks out and, uh, you know, fight the fish without losing them? What's, what's the ideal one you like to use? Yeah, those hooks have received some criticism from some people. Some people love them. Uh, the biggest thing, like you asked, is the rod. I use a Mega Bass Jerkbait Special Rod. It's a rod that uh, me and Aaron Martins, when he was there, helped design this rod. And it's a fairly limber rod. And a big thing with a jerkbait, you get a bite, you do want to pull and hold that fish there. You have to imagine that fish is swimming away from that tension. And there's no better hook for sticking in the side of a face or wherever in this fish. Uh, almost every fish you catch on a jerkbait with a limber rod, if you can be cognizant and just hold tension on that fish and let it turn and fight against the bait, they're going to get all three hooks in it with those out barbs, and you're going to land every fish. And those barbs stick them. I mean, they stick everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they do. They, they're a light wire hook. If you use a stiff rod, really horse a fish, you can bend the hooks out. But being light wire with an out barb, they drive in so easily. And that's where you get those fish to where they get one little hook in the corner of their mouth. They turn and they end up with the other two in the side of them somewhere. Hey, um, Luke, imagine that, that, that Trip Weldon came up with a new rule. On, on the circuit, okay? And I know you want him to come up with a couple new rules, but let's say that this new fictitious rule that I'm making up right now is called uh, three rods on deck, one in hand. So you bass pros are only allowed to use, have basically four rods in the boat, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, it, you're in your boat. What would be the three rods on deck and one in hand? So you can use four sticks in your boat. What would they be? Rods and reels, line combo. No baits, just rods and reels and no, line? No, yeah, give us the whole breakdown. Yeah, like, the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mega Bass Flippin' Special, 16-pound gamma line, half-pound Scott Canterbury Dirty Jigs uh, Flippin' Jig, and uh, would be one of the primary ones. I would probably say a shaky head, a Rochi X Mega Bass, uh, shaky head rod, 8-ounce shaky head, and uh, – uh, Four inch, probably a four inch Z-Man finesse worm on there, green pumpkin, hard to beat anywhere in the country. Uh, Mega brass, flat side special, Orochi double X, uh, 12 pound gamma line, uh, S crank and Kahoku reaction. And uh, was that three? I got one more to go. I don't even know. You're blowing me away. I think think you were like, bam. Give us one more. One more. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, Orochi Double X F five seven five with fourteen pound gamma half ounce Project Z chatterbait and green pumpkin. You it sounds did, like computer code. He did not hesitate whatsoever. <laughs> it took Cre- it took Jeff Cree twenty five minutes to answer that question on this show. I got a little bit of an advantage. I've been playing with hooks and tackling baits all day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, how you feeling about Cherokee, dude? I'm excited about it. You know, I like fishing in the cold growing up in the Northwest. We went walleye fishing a couple weeks ago. It was in the low teens. You know, it's not unusual to go fishing in those kind of temperatures. It's got smallmouth in it in, in a fun time of year to catch smallmouth in that part of the world. You know, smallmouth fishing down there in the summer sucks compared to what it is in the north. So it's going to be a fun lake. I, I'm looking forward to it. That's probably of the one lake we're going to this year. I'm probably looking the most forward to. Is it going to be one on smallmouth or largemouth? What do you think? I think you're going to see a mixed bag. Uh, I don't know enough about the lake to say for sure. Uh, from the sounds of it, there's going to be – somebody's going to weigh probably like three-quarters or more smallmouth, but they're going to catch some largemouth throughout the course of the event. Uh, I went there a day and just rode around the lake. So much of it looks the same. There's going to be a lot of places you catch smallmouth and largemouth. One or the other don't know what's going to bite. 
Hey, most people know that you won the 2006 Bassmaster Classic. For for those of you that don't, you just heard it here right now. But um, what an outstanding derby. I mean, that that, that was phenomenal, dude. You, you Florida-styled them to death. You, you Florida-styled them to death, no doubt. Now, my question to you is, you always hear that that winning a Bassmaster Classic is a life changer, uh, a game changer, worth a million dollars in endorsements. How true is that? Well, it may have been true when I won it. It definitely was true as a life changer. Uh, it made a lot of money for me. Before winning those two events that were like 18 months apart, I was essentially sleeping in the back of my truck, fishing tournaments, just going from one to the next, you know, living off savings that I'd made in fishing regional events. So uh, both those events had a huge impact on my life. And, yeah, it was life-changing. It's still affecting my uh, promotional value today to have that title. Uh, it made me grow up and learn a lot more about the sport. And, yeah, it made me a lot of money for sure. And you've been at this, what, like 15, 16 years or something? Yeah, I started in 2003. So this is going to be my, what is that, 14th year? Is that right? I'm a bad mather. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not yes. even going to take that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Use the bass calculator. But, the, I mean, hey, yeah, I, I got the stat right here. You've won over $2.5 million, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's, I have a, had a good career. I had a, a terrible year last year, but you know, prior to that, I've always been really consistent. I've been really good at getting checks. Nobody wins as much as they want to. Well, maybe Kevin, but most people <laughs> don't win as much as they want to. And uh, you know, I've been really consistent in my career. I've been pretty fortunate. It's kind of funny to look back. You know, the two biggest events I win are in the first uh, two and a half years that I fish. It kind of uh, bodes to the point of not knowing any better. A lot of the stuff you do, you don't overthink it. You just go fishing. Sometimes things can come pretty easy to you. Sometimes it's, uh, it becomes harder the harder you try. Hey, uh, do you know how many pounds of bass you've caught in your BASS career? Now, I'm leaving FLW out of this, but in BASS, do you know how many pounds you've caught? Uh, not nearly enough, but uh, I doubt very many. I only fished, uh, I've only fished BASS for three or four years now, I believe. Well, I, I know the answer. Okay, what do you got? I know the answer, and I'm going to let J.P. High tell you. J.P. is our stat man. What? 1,542 pounds. What? Wow. That's pretty good, That's right? That's not bad for only fishing for a little while. Yeah. That'd be a hell of a fish fry. <laughs> hey, uh, you were an FLW guy forever, and then uh, and you and you made the switch over to uh, to bass. What was the yep. reason for that? Yeah, you know, I made the switch after winning the Classic. That was the last BASS tournament I fished for 10 years there. Um, so after winning the Classic, I went and fished. The following year, went and fished FLW. It was a great sponsor alignment. Had a lot of good, positive things that took place over there. You know, made a lot of money fishing off sponsors. Uh, but things kind of changed, and uh, sponsor demand really depicts where you're at here. Uh, it determines where you're going to make your money off sponsors, and you got to listen to them, and that's really where my sponsors wanted me to be was back over at Bass. Uh, I went back to fishing the Opens for a couple of years, and it took me a couple of years to qualify back into that the elites again. But, uh, yeah, that was the biggest reason, sponsor constraints. I think that we've seen uh, ebbs and flows in this in the two leagues here over the last 15 years you know FLW came on really strong they were throwing money out like crazy in the early 2000s even up into the mid 2000s and uh, now it got to be where the money's less over there for winnings and uh, sponsor uh, desire to be over there has decreased too so right now it's more lucrative for me to fish the elites so sponsor driven is basically what you're telling us 
Yeah, I look at this as uh, as a business. Absolutely. I mean, I can put any hardship aside, anything positive or negative as far as relationships. For me, it's a business. I want to make as much money as I can, obviously, and that's catching more bass and doing as much as I can for my sponsors. You, you know, now, please take no offense to this at, at all, but it it doesn't seem like that, that bass has always treated you with the utmost respect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there definitely was a time when I left the Classic, there were some people unhappy there. Um, you know, there have been some issues over the years, for sure, and some things I question. But again, as a as treating it as a business, you got to take that in stride. Some of those things you can't do anything about. You can fight all you want. You're not going to get ahead, and uh, you got to do what's best for your career. Hey, Luke, uh, back, back to the 2006 Classic. Um, it, w- it was one of my favorite Classics to watch because of the coverage that year. I remember it was like prime time live on TV and all that stuff, but the worst thing happened, and that was there was a problem with your cameraman on the final day. Uh, t- tell us what exactly happened. I never heard the exact story other than the camera got wet. Yeah, on the final day we were facing a big storm front coming in, and I was just kind of focused fishing away. That was before the days of power poles. So you're sitting on a trolling motor holding into 30-mile-an-hour winds, and um, all of a sudden, I heard a splash, and he was in the water off the back deck. And I went and helped him in the boat. He said he uh, had just stepped in. So, obviously, his equipment was ruined. Um, and then they didn't – I guess there wasn't another camera brought down there until right at the end of the day, the last little bit. Yeah, you were pretty far away from everybody else, weren't you? Yeah, I was at the bottom end of Kissimmee, so I was probably 10 miles from as far as I possibly could be. The, wow. the lost footage is actually on the dark net. <laughs> we, we learned all about the dark net today. Don't go there. Don't do not do it, Luke. Don't go Stay there. Stay away from the dark net. Stay away from the dark yeah, net. You can find everything. Hey, you want to play a little bass fishing game show? All right, let's see what you got. Yeah, we're going to do a little match bass in game association. So when I say okay. a word, you tell me the first thing that, that pops into your brain as a professional bass fisherman. It can pertain to life. It can pertain to bass fishing. Whatever floats your bass boat. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay. How about some, can we get a little game show music? Andy Ginger. Welcome to the Bass and Bats game. I'm your host, Matt Relmick, professional bass angler Luke Clawson. Joins us today from Spokane, Washington. Prepping some tackle. Luke, the word to you is Megalodon. Megalodon. Ooh, giant prehistoric fish. Giant prehistoric fish, which you're hoping to catch this year on tour, right? Exactly, yes. There it is. Uh, soy, ginger, wasabi. Oh, sushi. Sushi. What's the best kind of sushi? Uh, I like tuna myself. The tuna. Yeah. yeah. That's the right answer. That, that's a very good answer. And and I like the uh, the eel. I like the eel, the tamaki or whatever. That that's word. the wrong answer. I like it, too. It's good. It's good. And, and then you can put it on the back of your jig, too. So it kills two birds with one stone. Use the leftovers. Overrated. Overrated. Well, I can think of a lot of names of anglers I could throw out there. But sure, I'm not go ahead. That. Nah, I'll get myself in trouble. Okay, I can say uh, it for you if you whisper it to me. I'll say the Alabama rig. The, the Alabama rig. Overrated. Okay. Nice. Broomstick. Broomstick. Oh, uh, swim bait rod. A swim bait rod. Bass Nazi. Bass Nazi. <laughs> Again, names popped in my head that I shouldn't say. Say it. it. You're holding back, man. This is the dark web, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Bass Nazi, huh? See, I could make some kind of bad comments that come back to haunt me. I've done this before. Okay, don't do it. Uh, Triple hit, man. Triple Weldon. Oh, 
<laughs> Wham! Daily Double. That's the Daily Double. Uh, life in the Bass Lane. Life in the Bass Lane. Sheer glamour. Sheer glamour. There it is. Bass fishing rock star. Phenomenal, dude. You, you knocked it out. I, I, I think you won. You just you just won Seth Fighter's prize. We're not going to send it to him. We're sending it right to you. Everybody's a winner, right? Everybody's a winner on Straight Cast Outdoor Cartoon Television. No doubt about it. Hey, have you ever had a, uh, a shoulda, woulda, coulda moment in bass fishing? Oh, God. There's probably been a lot of them. Uh, I know I've weighed in six fish a couple times. Oh, <laughs> Those were pretty expensive. Uh, you know, fishing's like that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I screw up every tournament. You can win a tournament and say shoulda, coulda, woulda. Uh, I think a major stuff, there's definitely sponsor things I probably could have done differently throughout the year, different obligations I could have made with people. But, uh, you know, it's all stuff. Hindsight's twenty twenty. There's also so many good decisions you make that, uh, I, yeah, I would say the things that I made that are really the dumb errors, things like having six fish in the well are the hardest things to swallow. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's getting caught up in the moment, isn't it? It is, yeah. You end up in sheer panic. I remember one time it happened in match fishing. It was me and Boyd Duckett, and I ended up having, I was catching every cast, and Boyd started throwing over my shoulder, and I'm trying to back up and throw them in the box, and before I knew it, I had six in there. Uh, you know, it, sometimes you think to yourself, I remember at uh, Chickamauga one time, I just ran like 30 miles at zero. It was noon. I ran up there, and I caught like a 12-inch spot. And I said, well, I still got to catch five more. I'm telling myself, well, I caught five more. I just didn't let the little spot go. So <laughs> those things, you kind of talk yourself out of it. You got to keep telling yourself you got to catch more, but you can't keep throwing them in the box. If there was one rule in professional bass fishing that you could change, what would it be? I wish these lakes, we didn't know what they were till a, either a defined amount of time beforehand or they were off limits from as soon as you knew where they were. Yeah, I, it would purify it, wouldn't it? It would. Just keep people away from it. They, they say that, oh, there's some people that guide. It's their home lake. Well, if it's their home lake, they can go to another lake or get a different job. You know, it's uh, it would purify it. Either do that or they announce it. Say, hey, we're going to be in Tennessee somewhere. We're going to announce it two weeks ahead of time. Uh, something to that effect. I, I would like to see that in the sport, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that at some point in time. We've already seen MLF do something similar to that. Do you know what a sight fisherman is? Somebody that looks at them and catches them? Well, no, that's somebody that looks at you catching them and comes over to your spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've seen a lot of that in the sport. Tell me a story about that. Give me an example. You don't have to name names. We, we know that. But give, give me a story, like on tour. Like, tell me a little story. Well, man, I can, uh, I can think of one. You probably already know this story. Uh, one, we were <laughs> at uh, Kentucky Lake. <laughs> I think I'm getting baited here. You are. But I am, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were at Kentucky joke. Lake with, and I was over there fishing the first day I caught 19 or 20 pounds. There was a guy just up the way from me and he caught, I think he had three for seven or eight pounds. If I remember correctly, nearly nothing for Kentucky Lake. I show up the next day. He's over there cast for cast with me saying he'd fish the other day before and I should help him help his co-angler catch some fish the whole time. And incidences like that just make <laughs> you lose all respect for somebody. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you're a professional fisherman, you shouldn't be trying to help your co-angler to start with, much less coming on some, coming in on somebody like that. And it's, it's unfortunate. It makes for a bad day for everybody, including myself. Yeah, and it happens all the time. Oh, it does, yeah. It, who knows? It happens more than you ever know or think because you go down a stretch and you go wreck them down a stretch. Somebody's across the creek from you. You leave to go somewhere else. 
well, surely he's going to stroll over there and see if he can catch another one. You never even know if it happens or not with a lot of people. So it, it definitely happens all the time, and there's just no way to control it. I mean, you can browbeat somebody to death. They're just going to go back and do it to the next guy. We've seen that throughout the sport. The same guys are doing it over and over. So there, there's really no way to stop it. You just got to accept it happens, keep moving on, and try to find more fish. Yeah, it's, it's part of it. Yeah, it is part of it. It sucks, but it's part of it. It's life in the bass lane. Exactly. It's life in the bass lane, Luke Clawson. Hey, y'all, what do you know about those big smallmouth in Idaho? You know, that Brownlee Reservoir, I've never fished down there, but they've been catching some giants. There's seven and eight pounders caught every year. Uh, That's probably three and a half hours from my house. Uh, Here at Lake Coeur d'Alene, it's just getting, every year they get bigger and bigger. There wasn't even smallmouth when I grew up fishing here. But the last day I fished here this year, I would have had over 25 pounds, my best five, had a couple over six. Um, you had, don't hear many getting caught over seven yet, but it's coming. That place is just full of kokanee, and every year they get bigger and bigger. I mean, those kokanee are, are, are like like uh, protein shakes, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They're like a little swimming Snickers bar, <laughs> and the fish get big eating them. I mean, they're just – they're all protein fat, and it's an easy fish for them to catch. A lake like Coeur d'Alene, the kokanee, a big one, is 10 or 11 inches. So most of these kokanee are five to nine inches once a fish gets to be like two, two and a half pounds, they can start feeding on those. They grow pretty damn quick. Hey, have you set goals for yourself as far as a professional bass angler? I mean, like, have you ever have you ever thought to yourself, I need to achieve this before I get out of the game? And what would those goals be if you've thought that way? You know, I never really have. And that's a question I get all the time. What are your goals for this year? What are your career goals And I've always just taken it one tournament at a time. I never look down the road and say, man, I want to make sure I qualify for the championship or the classic or I want to win angler of the year. Usually when that's that's when it seems like it gets harder to accomplish rather than just taking it one event at a time. I've been really close to angler of the year a few years in FLW. And usually that's when I start to struggle as you get down to a, towards the finish line. I start to think, man, this is really feasible. I just really need to accomplish this. And it's like too much pressure on myself. And you, you start uh, overthinking yourself and instead of just going fishing. Uh, that's probably one of the things that's helped me most in the sport is just go out every day is a new day. Go out and try to catch as many as you can that day and throw the big ones in the box and try it again the next day. How do you relax, man? There's a lot of pressure. Uh, I don't really get stressed out. I get pissed off, but I don't get stressed out. So when you're having a bad day, I feel myself getting more frustrated than anxious or nervous. Uh, That was probably – this is probably the first year I've ever really felt that. And I attribute a lot of my – uh, poor performance last year to having that feel like man i just need to at least catch you know catch a limit here to settle down and i've never felt that in my career before that's something that has always been uh been pretty easy for me to let everything blow up my back and just go worry about getting the next bite and uh, really haven't felt a lot of pressure and uh that's something i need to get away from next year for sure letting that pressure get to you yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's an admirable quality that you, that you're able to not get, you know, to not spin out. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you can't be a BB in a box car uh, as a professional bass fisherman. It gets you nowhere. 
<laughs> right. And there, there are some anglers that fish like that. Everybody has their own style. And that's, you can't fish like anybody else. I mean, I could have Kevin go tell me exactly what he's doing in a tournament he's leading, and I probably couldn't go out and duplicate that. And there's some people, you look at Aaron Martins. He sits there and mumbles to himself all day and talks about uh, animals in the field, all kinds of crazy <laughs> yes. stuff. It somehow ends up coming in with a bag full of fish every time. You know, if I had that kind of thought process, I wouldn't catch a damn thing. Everybody just has their, their own thing that works for them. <laughs> that's outstanding. <laughs> I think that's the key. I think you need to talk about animals yeah, that are in the woods. Yeah, you need to talk to, to kitty cats that are on the shore. Out of cats and bark at dogs all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make animal sounds. Yeah. Right. What's your, what's your favorite animal? Make the sound. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Oh, come on. <laughs> like the sound. I don't know that I have a favorite animal. Uh, you know, that's uh, I, there's a lot of animals I like to kill in the off season, but I don't know if I necessarily call them my favorite. Well, what do they? What sound do they make when you kill them? <laughs> they don't make any noise when they kill them because they're dead. <laughs> Good answer, Luke Clausen. Uh-huh. Hey, let's get back to some technique. Uh, Chatterbait yeah. versus swim uh, versus swim jig. How do you mm-hmm. decide when to throw one or the other? You like throwing both of them, don't you? Yeah, I'm big on both of them. Those are two of my favorite baits in in an arsenal, really. Uh, You know, the swim jig, it definitely has a place, and so does a chatterbait. There's a lot of times that the cover is really thick, and you're really limited to throwing a swim jig, overthrowing a chatterbait, places so thick you can't keep your bait in the water hardly, like we're going to Okeechobee here in a few weeks. You definitely can't even do that there. Um, And there's times a chatterbait is way better than a swim jig. It draws more attention. It definitely hangs up in the grass more times and draws more strikes, gets fish aggravated. And to say there's definitely a rhyme or a reason, Reason. Um, I don't know that. Really, really dirty water, I'll always cho- choose a chatterbait. Uh, really thick cover where you're working a jig on top, I'll always throw a swim jig. But open water situation, say you're fishing over milfoil or hydrilla out on the edge, a lot of times I compare it to uh, like throwing a worm or throwing a spinnerbait. So we're having a lot of vibration or you're having something pretty subtle. So you get conditions throughout the day that I'll be throwing a chatterbait when there's some chop on the water. It's, uh, you know, the sunlight might not be that high. It starts to smooth out a little bit. Everything starts to calm down. A fish can see what it's looking at a lot better. A lot of times I go to a swim jig a little bit more subtle at that point. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. What, what, uh, what What's the... Number one trailer. If you had one trailer to throw all year on a swim jig, what would it be? Oh, I think it's E-Man Diesel Minnow, just a boot tail uh, swim bait. That's a four-inch little swim bait that fits on a swim jig just perfectly. That's what I throw most of the time. When it gets colder, uh, the water's colder, I want my bait to move slower. I'll go to something like their Turbo Cross, which is a twin tail. It makes your swim jig, you can reel it through the water a lot slower. It has a lot more action. It's just displacing water, but it's kind of the big, slow, sluggish bait versus a swim bait trailer. Hmm. Nice. And right there, that seems to be the consensus, doesn't it? Like the craw deal or the boot tail. Most of you guys are throwing a variation of those two, aren't you? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Everything started with a swim uh, swim jig up by you guys with a grub. Yeah, Nobody right, yeah. throws a grub anymore, but swim baits weren't even in existence when everybody was throwing a grub that much. I'm sure a grub would still catch it, too. It does. Uh, we still throw them yeah, a ton up here. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I'm of the belief it's as much about getting around the fish as it is uh, the specific bait. So often you can throw a lot of baits when you're around the fish. You want the bait, the bait that's going to work the best for the conditions you're faced with. But a lot of times you can change it up a little bit and still catch fish. Hey, y'all, in your, in your experience with Megabass over the years, uh, have you had an opportunity to travel to Japan? 
I did, yeah. Uh, two or three years ago, went over there for almost two weeks. Uh, that was an awesome experience. Fish Lake Biwa, went to the Mega Bass factory and saw uh, uh, every major city in Japan, essentially, rode around the train. So a lot of cool stuff. The fish in there absolutely sucked. That's something <laughs> I I really don't want to go back for any more of that. Uh, we, I, I think there was it was me, Chris Zeldane, uh, Aaron Martins, and Edwin Evers, I think, were all there. And I think there was like six bass caught between all of us in three days. Oh, wow. Isn't that uh, – Sorry, isn't that why there's so many great baits coming out of Japan? Because those fish have seen them all. They kind of keep inventing new ones. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that's it. They're they're very technical in their approach to developing baits, a lot more so than most Americans are. Most American bait companies, uh, the fish in there is like you're shoulder to shoulder, not shoulder to shoulder, but you could cast in another boat half a day. There's that many boats wow. just drifting around on this big grass flat. It's uh, some of the most fishing pressure I've seen anywhere. So those fish definitely see a lot of baits. And uh, I think Japanese are always trying to find the next best thing. They're very innovative in their process. Yeah, if that's uh, – I mean that, that's the example there of sight fishing. But they're not doing it on purpose. They're doing it because they have no choice. <laughs> yeah, they have to wear a blindfold not to. And, you can, and don't yell at them. Whatever you do, Luke, don't yell at those guys because they're, they're, they don't know any better. They wouldn't understand. They they wouldn't know. Hey, uh, I'm not only fascinated by the, and I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but you're the dude to ask about this. You know what? I'm not only fascinated by the mega bass baits, but the rod actions. Um, <laughs> like you've been to that factory, then correct? Yeah. The, and and how much is there? Like a special research and development lab with mad Japanese scientists that just come up with this stuff because. I mean, even even the Mega Bass rod actions are outstanding, and like there's some Mega Bass stuff that is like just as far as rods and reels that are almost like have showcase value, as opposed to as I would like be afraid to fish with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. They they did tons of rod development. There's a lot of rods you've never seen that are in existence in Japan, and rods that none of us would spend the money on. Probably very expensive, ornate rods. Uh, Mega Bass has changed in their process since I've been with them, and now we're actually able to develop a lot of this stuff for the U.S. market. Like this S crank uh, that came out by them is all designed by uh, the Mega Bass pros. The rods. Uh, where pretty much me and Aaron Martins came up with all these raw designs. I don't know how many prototypes we went through for this double X line for Americans, American style of fishing. Uh, a lot of Japanese rods have a little bit longer butts, softer tips are not very traditional to what we're used to here in the U S. So, uh, they're paying a lot of attention in the U.S. market right now, and we have the abil- ability to design and help develop a lot of the stuff, which has uh, made the experience even that more, more, much more cool and rewarding. So you know what, what's fascinating to me is you, it, we get a lot of pros on the on the show that say that they've helped design and develop rods and rod actions. Like, how do you do that? Do you tell the designer? This is what I'm looking for, and they you send stuff back and forth. Like, for example, you tell them you're looking for the perfect crankbait rod. What are you looking for in that, and what do you tell them to make you? Well, honestly, all of us have all had rods that we really liked historically. 
uh, is big pros in different brands and different uh, styles of rods. We like something about this rod. When we first started this, we sent a pile of rods to Japan, and there was a lot of notes and a lot of detail on what we want to change, what we wanted the same. And then the prototype process started where we started getting boxes of rods to go through, uh, whether it was the action or uh, the weight of the rod or the balance of the rod. We had a lot of prototypes to go through there for a year and a half or two years uh, to design those rods. Have you ever – was there ever one that you were like, this absolutely sucks? I, I can't oh, use yeah. this. Yeah, no, there's a lot of them that really suck, yeah. Oh, yeah, the prototypes that came back, I have a bunch of them in my garage uh, that I don't even know what I'll ever do with it. JP uh, wants them. Yes. G- give them to JP and Bobby. They yes. want them. <laughs> Send them in. Yeah. <laughs> they just came they, – they turned out terrible. Not what we were expecting so for some reason or another, whether it was balance, weight, action. And uh, we just scrap them and start over or make changes from there. Some of the rod designs that we started with, we just scrapped all together. Have you ever thrown that uh, that tomahawk glass rod? Oh yeah, yeah. I have several of them. The GTX and the GTAs. Yeah. What? That's that's a that's a shining star, dude. Yeah, those are awesome rods. Uh, anymore, I use the Orochi Double X. We can only carry so many rods with us right now, and I guess I feel like that really fills every need that I have. I still use that Tomahawk uh, GTA and GTZ at home here, uh, just playing around, but I like everything consistent when I'm on tour fishing tournaments, so I just use all of one line. I remember I, I, I owned one once in 1994, one of the Tomahawk glass mega bass rods, and it got mm-hmm. in a fight with my Jeep Cherokee, and 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 the rod lost. <laughs> was that with the door or the tire? It, it was with the door. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I was. I yeah, it was. You got the automatic seat th- belt. Things went horribly array that day. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's all I can say. But I miss that rod. I still dream about it sometimes. I sure do. <laughs> hey, uh, talks about it all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so tell us, uh, Luke, any, any parting words that you would like to, uh, to say to your fans out there or, or your sponsors or any messages to the bass world that you would like to give? No, just everybody out there watching, check out and keep up with me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, my website, LukeClausenFishing.com. Uh, any information, any news about me will be on there. And uh, if there's anything that I can do for you guys, feel free to send me an email through my website and I'll see what I can do. Awesome, man. Hey, th- thank you. I think we just became best friends. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you having me. You want to build bunk beds after the show and practice karate in the garage? <laughs> yep, I got to do bestie. Yes, hey, thank you so much, Luke Clausen, and best of luck on the 2017 Bassmaster Elite Series, dude. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Knock him out. Hey, that's Luke Clausen, Bassmaster Elite Series pro, right here on Stray Cast Outdoor Cartoon Television. Again, fishing show season in full swing. This weekend, we are at the Rosemont Horizon Show. Or, yeah, Rosemont. Rosemont, and then next weekend. In Schaumburg, and we are off the air next week. Off the air and back on Feb 1 with an extravaganza that you do not want to miss. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. We're also on that. What are we on? Download us on iTunes. Download us on iTunes. Yeah. All the time, everything you need for bass fishing entertainment can be found at Straycast Outdoor Cartoon Television. I am Pat Renwick. Thank you so much. All the viewers out there, without you, we are purely crap. Catch you on Feb 1. Peace.